Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love uh, history and making things that are both historical and not. And we normally like to start by talking about what we've been making or baking recently. So how about you? We... Like me and Nick, we made a chocolate and ricotta cake. Oh, yum. It's this, I think it's a Tuscan recipe, at least the place where I found it said it was Tuscan. And for a standard size cake, it uses a whole 250 gram tub of ricotta. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, it's incredibly dense. Like, you don't need a lot of it. That's a lot but of ricotta. But it's really rich because it's got so much cheese in it <laughs> like it's it kind of ends up somewhere between a regular cake and like a baked cheesecake okay that is really a cake good. i would i would apply the word decadent to yeah it makes me happy <laughs> other than that i've just been working on the gansey because i have so little free time now that i have a full-time job yeah it's been it's been several months and I'm still not used to having less time. Yeah, I'm not sure that like gets I I don't know if you get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people must because a lot of people have full-time jobs. Yeah, that's true. But then I guess you had like a lot of hobbies to begin with, so maybe yeah. it feels weirder having less time for those. Anyway, what are you up to? Um, I, um, oh, I made some flapjacks, Very nice. which is not particularly exciting, but, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what I baked. Um, they were good, though, like, just the right texture, like, not too crunchy, not too soft, just, like, rustic, you know? Mm-hmm good good times and not too much golden syrup because sometimes they put loads of golden syrup in and then it's just like incredibly yeah, golden syrup mm, yeah and then you can't taste the tasty things that you put in them um oh and my dad and i got one of those mushroom kits oh, um, cool. you know where it's like a bag of like wood shavings and stuff that um, whatever that the mushrooms feed on and the bag has um like mycelium in it mm -hmm. and then you cut a, a slit in the bag and the mushrooms grow um yeah so we've we've been doing that which is really cool what and kind of mushrooms is it? oyster mushrooms oh yeah oh, um them. Yeah, so my my dad knows a guy, <laughs> um, a mushroom guy, of course, who makes these like mushroom bags in his garage out of like coffee grounds and straw or something. <laughs> anyway, so we we bought mushrooms off the unlicensed mushroom guy, um, but they're good. They they're very delicious. They grow so quickly. Like you come down in the morning and there's just mushrooms. <laughs> It's, it's amazing. 
Um, they are delicious. I'd never had an oyster mushroom before. Oh my god, they're so like silky. Mm, I find them really good for like Chinese food. Mm. Yeah, I made some fried rice last night with like mushrooms and egg and oh yes. But I d- I think the first time I cooked them in butter with just like a tiny bit of lemon juice and then sprinkle some parsley just for like two and a half minutes and it was delicious you're making me hungry yeah (laughs) that's just what happens on this podcast i think (laughs) everyone gets hungry (laughs) so yeah that's pretty much it and then obviously crafting um Mm -hmm. been getting back into some patchwork i think i want to make a quilt but that's uh for the future i think um I've got a few knitting projects to finish first. So yeah, it's it's been a, a busy time. So what is our episode on today? This is one of our uh, focus on a personal book episodes, right? It is. And I thought that I would talk about Marguerite Steiff. Okay, that name rings a bell. I can't remember what for. You might have heard of incredibly expensive antique teddy bears from the Steiff company. I might have. It's the company that basically invented teddy bears. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is going to be partly about her and partly about the company because it's at one point her um nephew gets involved okay i the i think the only thing i've heard connected to that is the thing about theodore roosevelt and the teddy bear yes this will come up oh okay i'm i'm excited to learn the story so marguerite steiff i I think I'm pronouncing this right. It's the way that I've always heard it pronounced. Um, was born in 1847. And as an infant, she actually got polio. Okay. Um, so she was um, paralyzed from the waist down for pretty much all of her life as a result of polio. Mm-hmm. And had uh, chronic pain in her right arm. So, yeah, becomes an absolute disability icon. Okay. Um, her parents were very supportive, though. They made sure that she still attended school regularly. And, yeah, including, like, being pulled to school in a little cart by, oh, wow. her, by her sisters and friends, which is... That's adorable. actually really cute, yeah. Oh, that's... Very good forward forward thinking attitude to disability for the mid nineteenth century. Um, and despite the issue with her arm, she did actually manage to attend uh, needlework classes and trained as a seamstress. Great! Wow. Uh, she made trousseaux for sort of people that she knew locally. Mm-hmm. That's like a fancy bridal set, right? Yeah, it's basically the, like, household linens 
that you take with you when you move out. Um, mm -hmm. The phrase hope chest, I think, is used in the US for the same thing. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard that. Cool. It's basically the stuff that the woman brings when she gets married. Mm -hmm. She also played the zither. What's this zither? It's a string inf instrument kind of similar to kind of similar to a heart. Okay. So she gave lessons and used that money to buy the first sewing machine in her town. Oh my gosh. Um, which is in I think it's pronounced Gengen is in um Baden-Württemberg near Bavaria for people who know German geography I don't but that's what it said so very multi-talented definitely yeah and she opened a felt score a felt shop and sold felt underskirts for a firm called uh, Siegler Posty. they were apparently fashionable in the 1870s in Germany <laughs> But like I say, her parents were very supportive of her doing all of these things. Her father actually built her a workroom in the house. Okay. And they actually adapted the sewing machine so it would be easier for her to use with her left hand instead of her right. Oh, wow. Uh, but she was she was very successful and obviously very skilled and ended up being able to employ people under her. Okay. And the story went that she saw a pattern for a elephant-shaped pincushion in 1879 and discovered that kids really wanted them just to play with. Makes sense. Which, yeah, like a lot of people think of her as inventing stuffed toys in general. She very much did not ragdolls existed at least in the Roman period because the British Museum's mm. got a Roman ragdoll. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would expect that would be like one of the oldest kind of mm -hmm. toys because kids are always kids. Which we'll, we'll do a separate episode on ragdolls and sock monkeys and all that stuff because there's a lot <laughs> to talk about there. Okay. Um, wow. But this is non-anthropomorphic soft toys <laughs> apparently just weren't really a thing. Oh. That's surprising. I, I've seen pictures of lots of, you know, ancient little carved animals and things, but yeah, I guess. Not like made out of fabric. Well, I, I guess it makes sense in a way, because if you think about dolls, they're often as companions. Mm-hmm. Like, boys and girls played with dolls for most of history, because it's just like oh, here's a little friend you can hang out with and you can change the clothes and all that stuff. Yeah. Because dolls were not invented to train women for motherhood. That is a very pervasive myth. So I guess it makes sense that they would be mostly human. Because I mean, I mentioned sock monkeys, but they're later. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess, yeah, like, this is a practice friend. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a um, a quote from her actually, which is at this time I came across a pattern for a toy elephant. Felt was the ideal material for this toy, and the filling would be of the finest lamb's wool. Oh. Now I could make these as gifts for the children in the family, and I tried out the patterns in various sizes. And you get in America, people are starting to do cloth animals. Mm-hmm. And these patterns get reprinted in Germany, especially in the magazine uh, Modernwelt. So you get um, a mouse, a rabbit, things like that. Mm-hmm. And she starts selling those, but thinking about using felt as a way of making it really soft and nice for children to play with. Oh, okay. Oh, and I guess she already had a lot of felt, presumably, from this business. Definitely, yeah. Um, by 1890, she had sold over 5,000 what elephants. What? Still handmade? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Or at least handmade by modern standards. Like, they had sewing machines. Yeah, but I re- I, that still counts as handmade today, I'd say. Yeah. Um... Her brother went out and sold them at the at the local market, apparently, initially, which is nice. Okay. Um, in 1890, he built her a house, which was built to be accessible. Oh, wow. Which, again, is great. And, I mean, it makes sense if it was built for her specifically, but it's still nice. Yes. Uh, which had a shop as well. In 1892, we get the Stife catalogue showing everything that they sell, which has elephants, monkeys, donkeys, camels, pigs, giraffes even. But no bears? Not yet. (gasps) (laughs) Wow, I didn't realise there was so many things before the bear. Oh yeah. The catalogue had the motto on it, For children, only the best is good enough. And yeah, at this point, she had four seamstresses that came to her and ten people that worked from home sewing these things. Okay. Um, We actually get the teddy bear when her nephew Richard joins the company. So I guess for a second there, I was like, I thought you meant as a child. Um, (laughs) No. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of a biography of the company as much as of her. Mm-hmm. But he actually studied at the um, Arts and Crafts Academy in Stuttgart oh. and got to and ended up working for her designing various soft toys. And we get in the late 1890s. Um, Toy bears based on dancing bears. So when people would have captive bears that they made perform. Mm-hmm. Was that still still happening, like into the nineteenth century? Apparently. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so you'd have ones, you know, carrying sticks and stood up, very sort of much more humanoid, like the dancing bears would be, stood up on their back legs. Hmm. And then in 19, 
502. They get Bear 55, which has movable joints. Bear 55? That, that's <laughs> the name on the design. Oh, wow. And it, it becomes big quite quickly because Harrods started selling Stife toys in 1895. So Harrods, um, for, for those that haven't heard of it, is a really posh department store in London. Yeah, it's like the model for fancy department store for rich people. Okay, so- I can see how that would... Uh, get the name out (laughs) definitely yeah like absolutely international acclaim for these products Uh wow so the original the the bear 55 is made of mohair which makes it look quite realistic as well like much more so than the felt kind of fluffy Mm -hmm. oh well fuzzy yeah um he presents it at the leipzig toy fair and it is an immediate success. Is that like a trade show toy? Uh, it was kind of half trade show, half public event. Um, kind of like E3. Okay, toys wow. in nineteen hundreds. That's really cool. Can you imagine like going to one of those as a kid? It would be like absolute heaven. It would, but then you'd be wandering around with your parents saying, "No, we're not buying that. We're not buying that." <laughs> we can only get one (laughs) but yeah so there was an order of 3,000 bears for a New York um, toy shop and it immediately became a bestseller in the US wow and that's when they start being known as teddy bears named after the president at the time Teddy Roosevelt Oh. Which, there's a story, because we love a story. Oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> I am. I'm settling down for a story. So, Teddy Roosevelt was well known as a hunter. Okay. And there's a story that he killed a bear and it had a cub and he refused to kill the cub. Okay. So, people were like, oh, he's just a big softy, really. He wouldn't I mean, mercilessly slaughter this baby animal. I mean, he still killed a bear. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the that's a thing that supposedly happened, and then as a result, people associate him with the teddy bear because it's just this little, this little defenseless bear. <laughs> and I just really like that as a story. Okay, so he didn't actually personally have anything to do with the toy bear, really. No, he just... People were just, like, started associating him with the bear. Like, oh, in 1902, this guy refused to kill a baby bear. And this thing looks like a baby bear. It's a teddy now. Well, it's better than Bear 55. It is better than Bear 55. (laughs) Um... But the Stife Bears become incredibly sought after after this. They produced a million bears by 1907. Oh my gosh. So this is, in a five-year span, a million teddy bears. That's so many bears. I can see why it became kind of ubiquitous. Mm. To the point where they had to 
find a way to make theirs distinctive. Oh, because there were copies? Yeah, so they have a little button, which initially it was a little button that had an elephant on it because of that felt elephant. Mm -hmm. But now it just says Stife. Okay. Which is a good way to find the properly antique Stife bears. Um, In the ear, so the button in ear trademark is, is actually still a thing now. Oh, right. Which is how, how you tell the authentic ones. Wow. So I imagine if you found one of the like original elephant button ones, that would be really valuable. That would be incredibly valuable, yeah. Oof. There must be quite a lot of these still out there then, if there were so many produced. Yeah, there's. you can get some on eBay fairly cheap. But ones from 1906, I found one listed on eBay for £130. Okay, that's still, I mean, isn't a lot, but it's a lot for an old teddy bear. Yeah, like it's compared to like what antiques can go for, that's not Mm -hmm. huge, but it's still quite expensive. Yeah. Mm. Um, So by the time Stife died in 1909, Stife had produced almost two million toys, including a million teddy bears, and had 400 full-time employees and 1,800 people working from home. Wow. That is incredible. Like, creating a business of that size. Mm Mm-hmm. And they actually ended up partnering with Disney. They still make Disney merchandise. All right. So did her nephew take over the company? He did, yeah. And there is a Stife Museum now, actually, in her hometown, which was opened on the 100th anniversary of the founding of the company. Amazing. Are Um, we adding this to our dream museum road trip? I think we might be. But yeah, like, this was a little bit short, but I think it, I find it a really interesting story. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, she's, she's still, Marguerite Steiff is still remembered as an icon of German entrepreneurship, female entrepreneurship, disabled people being able to do things. Oh, boss. <laughs> I, I really like that aspect because it's it's not oh she powered through regardless it's she had so much help and she had people doing like adapting a sewing machine yeah. for her and things like this and I guess like it like the things that she had to do to adapt kind of led to the creation of the teddy bear anyway yeah hmm. it's a really cool story and they give um, antique toys to various charity auctions. Like one from 1912 was auctioned at Christie's for over 150 euros. Nice. Oh, I want to just check out what these teddy bears look like now. Because I don't know if I've seen like the original. Um, I've sent you a picture of the original mohair one of Bear oh, yeah. 55. <laughs> Okay, it, it wants me to open it in a very strange manner. Oh, wow! 
that actually does kind of look like a bear cub. Yeah, like the mohair makes it look really realistic. Yeah, that's really fluffy. Because for, oh. for people who don't know, mohair is a very, very fluffy substance. <laughs> I say substance, like fabric, yarn. It's it's a, a wool, I guess you would call it, because it, it's a kind of wool that can come from either sheep or like goats or... Yeah, like it's um, it's the classic kind of itchy jumper kind of wool. Um, but that's because it's just like super fluffy. Yeah, it's made from the angora goat, and it's it's known for being very shiny. Which I, th- I think you can see if you look at pictures of Bear Fifty Five. That does look really shiny. That's I I always think a lot of. Um, old toys can look kind of creepy but this one doesn't like it is kind of adorable yeah like it looks like something you would have like a stop motion animation of on a kid's show in the oh. 70s yeah i might just be thinking about bagpuss that, that is very specific <laughs> it looks like it belongs in bagpuss is what i'm trying to say i guess <laughs> bagpuss and bear 55 yeah so yeah, that is Marguerite Steiff and the Steiff Company. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. Thank you for the story. So if you want to suggest an episode or a local larder, you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to show us pictures of your antique teddy bears. Or... Modern teddy bears, show us your favourite stuffed toy. Yeah, yeah, just, just like, send pictures of your favourite stuffed animal, or... I'm trying to think what my... I... Okay, so I had a massive thing for penguins mm-hmm. when I was younger, and I have several stuffed penguins that I still keep in my room, so I that have... would be the one. I have a teddy bear from when I was tiny, tiny. Mm-hmm. Her name is Dandy. I also have a lion who I might have to share a picture of that from when I was a kid that Nick has nicknamed the crack lion because <laughs> it looks like it's been through some things. <laughs> I think toys, stuffed toys often do over the years. <laughs> Oh, this, this this isn't like a Velveteen Rabbit worn down from love thing. It's just the oh, face is messed up. It was always like that. <laughs> At least I always I remember it always being like that. Um, well, I'm glad the crack lion found a loving home. But yes, if you want to share your pictures or see a picture of the crack lion, which I will post, mm-hmm. um, you can follow us at Bread and Thread on Twitter or on Tumblr. Um, we can also be found Bread and Thread on Patreon, where there is a Discord server and monthly recipes. Um, if you would like to support the podcast. Um, do we have any other, more other places? Uh, no? That's it. That's it. That is it. I forget every single time um, how many platforms we have. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>